If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah chapter 46. If you're using the Bibles provided in the pew rack in front of you, that's on page 771. 771. Isaiah 46 and 47. It was sweet to my heart to uh, hear our congregation singing of this grace of God. Grace that is greater than all of our sin. invite you to follow along as I read Isaiah 46 and 47, and then we will dig in and get to work. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops, their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts, they stoop. They bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnants of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age. I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear. I will carry and will save. To whom will you liken me and make me equal? And compare me that we may be alike. Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales. Hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. And they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand. And I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart. You who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion. For Israel, my glory. Come down now and sit in the dust. O virgin, daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne. O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind flour. Put off your veil. Strip off your robe. Uncover your legs. Pass through the rivers. Your nakedness shall be uncovered. And your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance, and I will spare no one. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is His name, is the Holy One 
of Israel. Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no longer, no more be called the mistress of kingdoms. I was angry with my people. I profaned my heritage. I gave them into your hand. You showed them no mercy. On the aged, you made your yoke exceedingly heavy. You said, I shall be mistress forever, so that you did not lay these things to heart or remember their end. Now, therefore, hear this, you lover of pleasures who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. These two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day. The loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure. In spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments, you felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. You said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. But evil shall come upon you which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. Stand fast in your enchantments and your many sorceries, with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. You are wearied with your many counsels, Let them stand forth and save you. Those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you, behold, they are like the stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. No coal for warming oneself is this. No fire to sit before. Such to you are those with whom you have labored, who have done business with you from your youth. They wander about each in his own direction. There is no one to save you. Let's pray together. God, we ask now that you would illuminate our minds and give grace to our hearts. We ask that you would give us insight into your word. Not insight just for the sake of puffing up our minds, but insight that humbles our hearts before you, that leads our hearts to trust you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I was standing in line at the grocery store yesterday, and I did what everybody does when they're patiently waiting for their turn to go through the checkout line, I looked at the tabloids. I didn't look at them very closely, but I just kind of gazed at the headlines. And you know, if you look at the tabloids, oftentimes you see a couple of things. One thing you see is you see the latest celebrity gossip, which is many times perhaps not real true. But other times you see perhaps explanation for or warning of future terrible events to come. I remember when I used to work at a grocery store, I would regularly see in the tabloids uh, the, the, the next Great Depression that was only weeks away. I would see World War III was on the horizon. I would see all sorts of things that would give warning as to what was about to be around the corner. 
Now, it'd be easy to mock and say these guys are never right. But also, we would understand, or we'd be wise to understand, that sometimes we're never we're we're not right about what the future holds. Talks of World War III all of a sudden don't don't sound so crazy in light of events in the world over the last few weeks. Talks of Great Depressions don't sound so ridiculous when we wonder about skyrocketing gas prices and inflation. Questions of where the world is going or what is happening in the world can cause our own hearts to wonder, maybe with a sensationalism or with a sense of drama that rivals the tabloids in the grocery store, or maybe just with a curiosity that wonders, where is this headed? As we look at Isaiah 46 and 47, we see something interesting. We see God warning and even telling the people of Babylon what is coming to them. And in one sense, he addresses his people, the people of Judah, who are under the oppressive regime of the Babylonians. But in another sense, he addresses the people of Judah while they stand off to the side and they hear the warnings against Babylon. And so we might read it and we might first glance read into this and say, okay, I feel like I'm witnessing a conversation that I don't need to be witnessing. Like a child walking in on an adult conversation between mom and dad. But in another sense, I think the reason that we hear this is that we hear of God's overarching control in the world and we hear of God's hand as history works itself out, as cultures and peoples rise and fall, and we see the God who rules over all. That's what we see in this passage. In fact, if you remember last week, we're coming on the heels of Isaiah 45, where God said at the end of that, at the end of, at the end of Isaiah 45, how every knee will bow and every mouse will profess allegiance to Him. What God is promising is that He is promising to bring righteous judgment upon all the nations that deny Him. Upon all the people that deny Him, let's say. And now we see this start to be applied with the people of Babylon in Isaiah's day. And so God speaks to the people of Babylon by doing two things. In chapter 46, what he does is he reveals to them how the idols that they trust in cannot carry them. And then he reveals that when your idols cannot carry you, apart from turning to God, you cannot carry on. Their idols cannot carry them, and they cannot carry on. Now look at this. Look at verses 1 and 2. God says, Bel bows down. Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop. They bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Bel and Nebo 
were two gods of the Babylonians. They had a number of gods in their cultural experience. And Bel was kind of the supreme god, and Nebo was like his, his son. And so what the people of Babylon would do uh, sometimes is, is that on, uh, they would have these New Year's festivals and, 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 and these, these, these um, uh, uh, craftings of Bel and Nebo, these, these idols that had been fashioned out of gold and out of silver, would be carried through the heart of town, through the heart of the cities, through the heart of the peoples. And they would, they would profess their allegiance to these gods. And what Isaiah is saying to the people of Babylon, what God is saying to them, is that these gods that you carry through, that you, that you, that you, that you um, uh, bring through your towns, they will not be able to carry you. What he reveals is that our idols poison everything. And that the idols that we might expect to carry us, when we look to them in our great need, they will not be able to carry us. But in fact, they will expect us to carry them. You see, it's interesting. In one sense, we would say, okay, why is God speaking to the cultural idols of a people that are not his people? And I, I think one of the great reasons why we see this is that what we see is, is that the overarching promise of God of his rule over all things and all peoples and all creation. And what we're going to see when we get to chapter 49 is we're going to see the the, the promised coming of Jesus Christ, the servant of God. And so what God is doing in a sense in chapters 46 and 47 is he is staking out the barriers, staking out the reach of his claim for domain, of his claim for power. And so as he lays the boundaries and reveals actually that the boundaries, there are no boundaries, that he is the ruler over all. Isaiah asks the people of Babylon, and by God's wisdom in his word, he asks you and me. Do you carry your God? Or does your God expect you to carry him? Do you carry your idols? Or do your idols carry you? See, what he's revealing is the folly of trusting in anything apart from the one true God. As he addresses the idols of the people of Babylon, we must be wise to think through, okay, how do I diagnose what my idols might be? Well, I thought of it in three ways. This part of the sermon is brought to you by the letter H. What do you seek ultimate happiness in? Where do you turn for help? And what, if taken from you, would provide you great hurt? This is one way that we begin to diagnose our idols. Where do we go for happiness? Where do we go for help? What, when taken from us? will bring us hurt. Now here's the danger with idolatry that the people of Babylon are seeing. They crafted their idols out of precious materials, out of precious uh, 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 items that were of great value to them. 
And what we see with idolatry is idols are not things that are ugly, but actually things that are oftentimes attractive, appealing, desirous. And so I've said this before, you may have heard it. Idols are oftentimes in our lives good things that we turn into God things, and then that becomes a bad thing. Good things that we turn into God things, and then that becomes a bad thing. So an idol can be a good gift that God has given us. A relationship, a marriage, a child, a family. But then that idol becomes something that becomes all-consuming for us in regards to our happiness is grounded in that thing. And then when that thing starts to expose its cracks, our hearts are undone. Our idol has proven itself incapable of meeting these greatest needs of our hearts. Where do you turn for happiness? For help? Or what causes you hurt? What God is not saying here is he's not presenting a picture, or what I'm not trying to present here is a picture of, 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 of denial of feelings, or denial of emotion, or denial of love, or denial of, of all of these emotions and feelings and stirrings that can happen within us. But what we're presenting here, what we're seeing here, is God rightly, by his exposing of the idols of Babylon, he gives us the grace of being able to hear and to see how he can rightly order the affections of our own hearts. So that we no longer cling to these idols as if we expect them to carry us, as we we expect them to give us life. But we can actually hold them in proper regard that they might no longer be something that we squeeze the life out of, but that becomes a precious gift to us from the giver of all good gifts, God. An idol is a good thing that is oftentimes made into a God thing, and then that becomes a bad thing. So as God confronts the idols of Babylon, you see the language here that he exposes to this. It says, verse 2, they can't save their burden. They, they themselves go into captivity. And God says down in verse 4, he, or in 3 and 4, he reminds his people of Judah. He says, listen to you, I am the one who carries you. And I promise I will continue to carry you. Look at verse 4. To your old age, I am he. To gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made, I will bear, I will carry, and I will save. Exposing the folly of their idolatry. In verse 6, those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, they hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. And that might be where your heart is today. Where does conflict rage in your heart? Where does feelings of a lack of fulfillment, an uneasiness that that the direction of your plans or your life isn't quite taking the shape that you want it to take? And you feel as if there's something that's a little off in my life. Or you feel as if there's something that's a lot off in your life. These feelings are natural and normal. The question for us is not, do we have these feelings? The question for us is, what do I do with these feelings? Where do I take my broken dreams, my broken heart, or even my broken body? 
What Isaiah says, if we take them to the wrong place, he says at the end of verse 7, if one cries to it, it does not answer or it does not save him from his trouble. And so it is possible that you are gathered with us today and you have found that, that though you're not quite sure about the Christian God, you have found that the other idols that maybe you have tried to pursue have found you saying to yourself, I've cried to it, it does not answer. It has not saved me from my trouble. In fact, it's actually brought me more trouble. I believe Christianity answers the greatest questions our hearts can muster. It is the key that unlocks our understanding of ourselves and of our world, not making everything easier, but perhaps making things make sense in a way that they previously did not. And what we find here is perhaps the first step that you would understand about what it means to follow Christ, what it means to trust Christ. And that you might would say, okay, I'm not, I'm still seeking to learn more about this Christianity thing. But yeah, I can resonate that these other places I have looked, these other idols I have turned to, even if I've never thought of them as idols before, I have cried out to them for answers, and yet they have not answered. I don't know if you guys saw the news this week uh, in Hingham Harbor. The, the big excavator that, I don't, I don't know how, but it kind of sunk down into the water, into the harbor. Did anyone else see that? Yeah, it was kind of like an environmental mess, apparently, and had to try to block, like, liquids and oil from spilling out of it. As far as, like, as up to yesterday, they still hadn't been able to get the excavator out of the harbor. You can find pictures online. It's all, all the way down, I guess, to the top, and you can just see the arm reaching out of it that's supposed to dig up other things. I don't know the whole story there, but it's a good illustration for us where we expect our idols to be able to do the heavy lifting for our lives, but actually they actually fall into the muck and the mire themselves and are incapable of carrying us. And so perhaps the towers of strength that you have sought after, they've proven themselves to be less than fruitful. They've proven themselves to be less than capable. That's the nature of our idols. They promise one thing and then they deliver something far less. But like a terrible, like a terrible salesman, they tell us, oh, you just need to give me more and you'll get what you're looking for. It is as if they are a pyramid scheme, always demanding more while always moving the prize further back. And yet the message of Christ, the message of this God that we see our God in Isaiah 46 and 47 is a God who doesn't say, okay, I can be with you for a moment, then I must bail out. I can, I can give you that temporary, that temporary uh, uh, satisfaction, but then I can only do so much. No, this is a God who tells His people, as verse 4 says, even to your old age I am He, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and I will save. It's interesting, the imagery here is of the people having to carry their idols, whereas what the image that God gives is that as the people weary down, He is willing and He is capable of carrying His people. Perhaps you have some gray hairs and you realize that things that you expected to carry you can no longer carry you.
Well, may I encourage you that our God is not one who needs us to walk beside him, not one that he needs us to carry his walker. He does not need us to push him in the wheelchair. He does not need us to care for him. But he carries us. And so even as your body ages, even as you deal with the effects of aging in ways in which you would have, wouldn't have thought of otherwise, in my mind, sometimes I'm still the little kid that everyone else was older and I'm the young kid and now I realize, no, I'm actually closer to 40 than I am anything else. I'm halfway there on the average lifespan. Who knows? Time has a way of revealing to us the cruelty of aging. But the grace of God has a way of comforting us with the God who is with us as we age. But do we trust Him? Our idols cannot carry us. They make demands of us and then move the goalposts. But then God tells His people that He will bring righteousness near. As He tells of what He will do, He will bring Cyrus to be the one who rescues the people of of Judah out of the grass of Babylon. That's that bird of prey that He references in verse 11, a man of my counsel from a far country. But then God, it's as if He's dressing Babylon, but then He turns in verses 12 and 13 and He addresses His people Judah. And He says to them, Listen to Me, you stubborn of heart. You who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. And my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion. For Israel, my glory. Do you see what God says here? He's saying to His people, as you watch your captors carry their idols of gold and silver around and put them in the center of the room and then say, okay, I need you to deliver me. He says, how about I draw near to you? What you'll find as you turn away from the idols of your heart is you do not have to look far from the God who has made you and the God who speaks to us in His Word. What you'll find actually in the mystery of God's providence is that as you turn your eyes away from the idols of your own heart, you'll find that He is actually the one that gently turned your head away and He will turn you to Himself. As I bring near my righteousness, it is not far off. My salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. That's the thing here. We don't turn off the worship of our hearts. We just turn the attention of our hearts to that which is worthy of our worship. We don't turn off our emotions, our affections, our desires, our our yearnings, our deepest wishes and hungerings. We don't turn those off and forsake them. But we recognize that perhaps they are wrongly focused in other ways and perhaps they ought to be turned and focused towards our God who has made us. Because what we will find is that in all the idols that we seek out security and rescue and relief in, all the idols that we seek happiness and health and hope and help and seek to run to when we hurt. They are but poor outlines. And yet, sprint through them and sprint away from them and sprint by them, we will find the God 
who does speak to these cries of our hearts. So the question before all of us as we observe this conversation, well, not really a conversation, but God speaking, is what do I make of this God? And remember, I I mentioned this in the outset here. Okay, so we see how is the world going? What we will actually see now as we transition on to chapter 47 is that these idols that cannot carry the people of Babylon reveals that they then, the people of Babylon, will not be able to carry on. And so as we see God destroy the idols, the false gods that people try to have compete with Him, we see that that is in one sense the story of the world. So in chapter 47, the people cannot carry on. Judgment comes upon Babylon in verse 1. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. See just the the, the humbling there, the humiliating that he does there. Sit in the dust, sit on the ground. You no longer have a throne. He's clearing the decks. This is the anatomy of the destruction of idols. He says to them in verse 3, Your nakedness shall be uncovered. Your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will spare no one. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is His name. is the Holy One of Israel. He's going to expose their idols. He's going to reveal that like a poisoned water supply, our hearts might be tempted trust in the idols of our world, but He reveals to us that like a poisoned water supply, we cannot have a soft dalliance with idolatry. But rather, if we take in just a little of it, it will actually poison and kill us. Our idols don't stay in their little boxes. We don't tell them, okay, you can be over there, but you cannot come any closer. Or you can have this part of my life, but you cannot have this. Our idols demand everything. And what God reveals to us is they destroy everything. And He reveals how the epicenter of the destruction of Babylon, the ground zero of the destruction of Babylon, is in the hearts of the Babylonians. Listen to verse 8. Therefore hear this, you lover of pleasures, who sits securely, who say in your heart, I am and there's no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. These two things shall come to you. In a moment, in one day, the loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. So what we have here is the people of Babylon are saying to themselves, all the terror and all the evil and all the hurt and all the pain that we see in this world, it will never come upon us. We are protected. We are secure. And what God says is, no, it will come upon you. And it will come upon you because you have the same condition of your heart that is is found if you trace all the way back to the Garden of Eden. 
When the serpent tempted Adam and Eve and said, said uh, did God really say and led them to distrust God? You see what God reveals to us, to the people of Babylon, and what He must reveal to us in this moment. We must grasp this. The problem with idols is actually not a problem with idols. It's a problem with idolatrous hearts. And so as we consider our own hearts, we must consider the answer to our great need, the answer to the great needs of this world, the answer to the idolatry of the world that surrounds us, is there must be new hearts. There must be new affection. There must be new worship. There must be new trust in a different God, in in the God of the Bible, the God who has revealed Himself, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so this is the picture we see of the world topsy-turvy, upside down, tossed to and fro, far and wide, and yet we see as empires rise and fall. Did any, of you even, did any of us even know who Bell and Nebo were before today? I didn't. Well, before I started studying this week. And so what God shows us as, as, as idols, as gods, as worship rises and falls, as nations come and go, as cultures enjoy their rich heritage and then crash and crumble, The one true God reigns over all. He claims He is worthy of the worship of all people. That is what He is saying in Isaiah 47. He's saying this judgment will come upon you because your hearts are far from Me. Look at verse 10. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said no one sees Me. Your wisdom, your knowledge, it led you astray. And you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. Do you know what this reveals to us? The biggest idol that God is confronting of the Babylonians is not Bel or Nebo. It's the idol of I and me. When it comes to the work that our hearts need, God refuses to play nice. Because our hearts don't need gentle and nice confrontation from His Word. Our hearts need new birth. To be awakened. To find in Him that there is one besides us. And like two atoms colliding in on himself and exploding, if the focus and the aim and, and the, servants, uh, the, 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 the service of our hearts and our desires is the ultimate wish of our lives, we will crash and burn. But if we have been made alive, made new and given grace to see our God who rules over us and see Jesus Christ as the one who has come for us, who has drawn near to us, it is then that we can say, 
that these idols do not carry me, but I have found the one who does. God exposes the emptiness of the religion, of the business, of the cultural uh, 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 cultural um, affections of the people of Babylon. He tells in verse 12, Stand fast in your enchantments and in your many sorceries with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. terror. No, he says, you're wearied with many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you. Those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, at the new moons, make known what shall come upon you. No, the fire will consume them. They cannot deliver themselves. Such, verse 15, such to, the, to you who are those, to you are those with whom you have labored, who have done business with you from your youth. They wander about each in his own direction. There is no one to save you. God has revealed that the emperor has no clothes. The idols have no power to, power to save. Our hearts bolstered by the, the, the security of perhaps great success, great accomplishment, deep relationships, needs that we feel we have in this life are met in, in, in unbelievable ways. And yet what we find is that they eventually crumble. And what God presents to us and to the people of Babylon, as we watch and as we observe, is that He reveals to them that the first step towards mercy is to have one's heart awakened to realize its need for mercy. And so the question, the confrontation that lies before us is a question of what do we do with this awareness that we have been given. We will either resolve yet again, as is the case with the Christian life, where we must continually be resolved to forsake our idols before they forsake us. And so will we forsake our idols and trust our God who is with us, even in the gray hairs, even the aging and the declining, our God who is able to meet our needs, our God who is a stalwart, who is the buoy in the midst of the, of, the, of the perils of life bouncing up and down, who is the lighthouse standing amidst the storms of this world. Our God who reigns supreme over all of His creation. Will we trust Him? Or will we believe like Stephen maybe foolishly believes when he laughs at the tabloid headlines. Ah, that's never going to happen. But we have to realize is that if we are trusting in our idols, that destruction, that falling apart, the seams ripping apart of our lives, of our worlds, it will happen. But the grace of God is to show us the one who binds us together. In Christ Jesus, our greatest wounds are ripped open, but in Christ Jesus, our greatest wounds are sewn together. As we are given new hearts and new grace and new mercy. Grace and mercy are very sweet to the one who has realized that the idols of his or her heart 
never extend grace or mercy. And so, the question before us, how do you understand the world? How do you understand yourself? May we understand our God. And in understanding ourselves and our God, may we see whatever the idols are that we cling to, they cannot carry us. And the quicker we realize that in this life, the quicker we will realize that our God can carry us before it's too late and we reach a point where we cannot carry on. Would you pray with me? God, you are gracious in revealing to us our need for you. You are gracious in revealing to us the folly of idolatry. You do not stand aside. You do not stand away. But you draw near to your people. And you are gracious in doing this for us. We ask, O oh God, that you would help our hearts to forsake the idols that we would want to cling to. We ask, O oh God, that you would give and steady our hearts with hope, knowing that Christ Jesus is our strong tower. And therefore, as the world rises and falls, as life turns up and down and left and right, inside out, you stand steadfast and secure, a sure and steady anchor, a refuge for your people in time of need. Help us, O oh Lord, if there be any in this room who have realized that the idols of their heart cannot meet the need of the pressing moment that they are in, give them the grace to look to Christ and find in Him the one who meets all their needs, the one who draws near to them in righteousness and in truth. It's in His name we pray. Amen.